Let's open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Had a wonderful time of communion last Wednesday. It was blessed. We are going to, by God's grace, finish the book of 1 Timothy tonight. Lord willing, I should say. Lord willing. Before we do that, let's go before a word of prayer. Father, we do pray that you would anoint your word once again. Fill us afresh. Help us to honor you, Lord. This evening, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot has been going on as Paul has been speaking to Timothy, a young pastor there, encouraging him, strengthening him, equipping him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here we begin in verses 1 and 2. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. It's very um, easy for pastors to start talking about the boss, the employer to the employee relationship. And that is the application for us today. But that is not what he's talking about here in the first century. He is talking about a slave holder with a slave. You have no rights. You have no ability to move, to, to go pick another job, to have another boss. In this time frame, that was not possible. In the Roman Empire, it is estimated at its peak there were 60 million slaves. The majority of people that lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. That means you were owned by somebody else. Owned. They told you what your hours were. They told you when to get up. They told you when to get out of bed. They told you how hard to work, how long to to work. They had complete authority over you. You were their possession. And in the Roman Empire, they owned you. You were their possession. And your physical rights, they could beat you to death. That'd be like uh, abusing your vehicle, for example. That's how legally they saw it. Now, this is not American slavery or Western slavery of the 16th, 17th centuries. A lot of Roman slaves were doctors, lawyers, professionals, educated. Not all, but a big portion. It's believed that Luke himself was a slave doctor, possibly to an owner named Theopolis. That's who the book of Luke and the book of Acts is addressed to, this man Theopolis. And so I wanted to make sure that we get that full context there because this is much more powerful when we do. It's important, though, to realize as we go through these verses that these are statements of fact. They are not encouraging slavery. The Bible never encourages slavery. Even in the Old Testament law, it is limiting slavery in the nation of Israel, not proclaiming it. Men and women, we are fallen creatures. We are sinners saved by grace. And we want uh, power and money. We want physical pleasure over the well-being of other people. And we see that in government. We see that in uh, the monetary system. We see that in our workplaces. 
And it's the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that came to liberate men. Before I, I keep harping on that, let's go again into the verse now that we've built up the, the context here. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. He is telling slaves that you are to be the best worker possible for your owner, for your master. Not because slavery is good, not because he's worthy and he deserves it, not because slavery is a good thing and this is the way it should be. It's so that God gets the honor and the glory. Imagine if the disciples and the apostles had gone into the Roman world and begun with social activism. We're going to change slavery. We're going to improve women's rights, which were non-existent in the Roman Empire. We're going to speak against the violence that's in the games all over the Roman Empire. And we're going to change our society. They would have been slaughtered. Literally, they would have just been stopped as a rebellion. They would have had no change whatsoever. You see, unfortunately, with social activism, we're trying to change the outward of man. We're trying to change the habits of man. And in doing that, we believe that we're changing the hearts of man. That is not the case. It is the con- it's actually the opposite is true. When the heart of man is changed and when a person is completely born again, that's when you have the fruit. That's when you have the change in a person's life. I could tell you all kinds of rules and rituals and things about being a Christian. And there's a lot of fake Christians out there. What do I mean? They, they're waking up early. They're reading their Bibles. They're going to church. They're tithing faithfully. They know Christian language. But they haven't been changed on the inside out. And it's all going to come to fruition sooner or later. Here with the slaveholder and the slave, the gospel's going forth. It says, if you want to preach the gospel, you need to serve. And you need to deny yourself. You need to deny your own rights so that you can bless others, so they can hear the gospel and their lives can be changed. So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. That's what it says there. Are you willing to, in our society, give up your rights so that you can bless others and so that the gospel can be seen in your actions, seen in your work, and then heard in your language, in your speaking, in your sharing? Or do you have a rebellious spirit in the workplace? Now, this is the, this is the one complete end of the spectrum over here. A slave being obedient to a slaveholder, and yet we who have free will in America to choose your job, you don't have to stay there complaining and being rebellious. We don't have an excuse. If you don't like it, quit. Go somewhere else. No one is holding that over you. And then it continues here in verse 2. It says, And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So what is he saying here? What was happening at that time is masters and slaves, they were all getting saved. They were all accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They're going to church together, and at church they were equals. It wasn't uncommon to have a slave become an elder in the church and a master to be a congregate and have to submit to the authority of his own slave in the faith. 
and then to go home and have the roles changed. Uh, imagine the issues that would, that would take place there. A little bit of confusion. And what was happening, those believers saying, well, I don't have to work so hard for this guy because he's a believer. He's my brother, right? He's going to let me take it easy. The scripture here is saying the opposite. You need to be serving them as much as you would be serving the world. You have the same obligations. You have the same expectations in your job, and that's to do the best as unto the Lord. And we are all weak in this area. Because we're all men of like passions, women of like passions. We're all, we all have this fallen nature. You know, let's take it home to our, to our young youth. You don't do your homework as unto the Lord. You don't go to class and obey your teachers as unto the Lord. Wives obeying their husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands loving your wife as unto the Lord. And so on and so forth. And you look at the relationships that you have where you're under authority or in authority. Are you doing all those things as unto the Lord? Because many of us, myself included, would say, oh, I'll go to China and preach the gospel. Oh, you can throw me in jail to preach the gospel. But when I'm supposed to be quiet and work for my master at work, my employer, because he's not, again, he's not my slaveholder, am I working there with as much as enthusiasm to the Lord? And the answer is no. No, the answer is no. And so we need to be led by the Lord. Just to get a little bit more spiritual context, it says in Colossians chapter 3, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you served the Lord Christ, for you serve the Lord Christ. We have a higher expectation here and at your work and in your home and in your classroom as believers. It's important to recognize that because, you know, my secular job, if my boss is not there, if the owner of the company is not there, it's like recess. Nobody's working. People disappear. Everyone has, quote-unquote, appointments to go to. The second he shows up, the second he shows up, everybody's typing. I don't even know what they're typing, but everybody's working hard. Why? Because they're men-pleasers. They're, oh, he sees me. Oh, I might get some recognition. Oh, I might get a reprimand. And then things change. Wow. And we're all guilty of this. I don't want to uh, distract you with a confession. My wife was busy and I was studying. But I took a break from studying to scroll a little bit on that little, uh, that little you know, handheld, terrible, terrible device. But I saw her driving in and she knew I was supposed to be studying. What do you think I did? I wasn't going to let her catch me. No way. I tossed that thing, and I pop, all my pop-ups, I brought them all back up, made sure I had my book open. And then I, uh, she came in. She said, oh, okay, you're studying. I was going to have you take out the trash. Oh, yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> and then the Lord convicted me, and I had to repent. It's always love, love repenting to my wife, not humbling at all. But we've all been there. It's not to be so with believers. The Lord was watching. And I'm not saying the Lord wasn't going to give me a break for a few minutes while I'm reading. That's not what I'm saying. But 
who are we trying to please in our walk, in our life? Who are we trying to please? It should be the Lord first. Now let's continue. In verses 3 through 10, we're going to take a chunk here. If anyone teaches it otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It seems like he's talking about two separate things. He's talking about false doctrine and false teaching, and then he's talking about greed and uh, being rich. He's talking about both. They all go together. First and foremost, false doctrine is like cancer. It corrupts, it destroys, and it replicates very quickly. It corrupts, it destroys, and it replicates very, very quickly. And these false teachers, they have the appearance, they look like good, uh, solid leaders in the church. But ultimately, their motives are revealed. They start causing uh, destruction and division in the body, and then they are using the position of authority to have physical gain, to make money, to get themselves ahead. And you look at that long list of things, and and sometimes I'm flicking on the TV or I'm, I'm I'm on the internet and I see different ministries, and I'm saying, wow, they have a ton of people. But if I'm looking at First Timothy chapter six and I'm seeing the fruit of that ministry and I'm seeing th- what this guy or this gal is driving, living, and I'm just saying, wow, this isn't adding up. Something rotten here. It's a very important question to ask. When it comes to servants of the Lord, you can just make this mental note to yourself. What is this person getting out of this? What is their motivation? If you took away everything, if you took away the salary of that person, would they still be doing that job? I'm talking church leadership now. What is their real motivation? Is it pride? Is it ego? Is it to be recognized by people? Is it to be on TV? Is it to make the money? If they lost all those things, would they still be following the Lord? And, you know, I'm trying not to just come across as uh, bitter or resentful or jealous, but if you look at how many mega pastors have been falling, even those from seemingly fruitful uh, church organizations that have a lot of fruit, and you just, you make a list and you look, it's it's eye-opening that something is wrong. 
It's not the fruit of the Spirit that's being revealed. It's sin coming to light. And then you have, to, you have to ask yourself. And you know what's a blessing, though, in these situations? When you see that and people have relied on the Lord and that man or that woman is gone and they're still serving God, how faithful the Lord is and how they were firmly engrafted in the Word of God, even though you find out that that leader wasn't. That, that leader wasn't. You say, oh, there's no, there's no big, great leaders out. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. There are plenty of them. There are plenty of them. I think of Pastor Chuck. He, he completed the race. Pastor Chuck Smith completed the race all the way from the beginning all the way to the end. Yes, he's a man of sin. He's, he has sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of God. Let me clarify that. But he was faithful to the very end. And there are many like him. He's just the one that we relate to the most, obviously. He's the closest to the family. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, I want you to notice this part, though, when it says uh, to the rich, because he's going to mention rich uh, people again. If you compare us to the fellowship in which this was originally written, to Timothy's congregation, each and every one of us is super rich. Is, well, who are you comparing yourself? According to the scriptures, if, you're compla- if you are comparing yourself to who this is written, he's talking to us. We have running water. We have electricity and transportation. And most of us here are on a diet. We are fi- we're filthy rich compared to these people. Our health services that we have. It's just our culture wants us to believe that we're the have-nots when we're the have-everythings. Yeah. Oh, I don't have a Porsche. Look at that Porsche. I'm so poor. What? Anyway, it's talking to us. The love of mo- the money is the root of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil, it says here. But godliness with contentment in verse 6 is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. So many of us have the godliness, but we're losing the contentment. The contentment comes from God. Some of us have contentment, but we're not seeking after the godliness, the relationship with the Lord, personal relationship with the Lord. You've got to take an inventory. We've got to have both, godliness with contentment. This is a way to explain it And another way. The Bible says in Proverbs about our homes, I'm going to paraphrase, it's better to sit at a table of bitter herbs where love is than a fatted calf where strife is. Meaning, it's better to, to eat the uh, rice and beans that I grew up on and hamburger helper. That's forbidden in my home. I grew up on that. If I come over to your house, please don't serve that. I'll eat it graciously by the love of God, but I'll be praying. <laughs> Where love is, then to have T-bone steaks every night and have complete strife. Have a family you can't stand being around. Spiritual or physical family. Now, if you can have the stake and the great fellowship and the great harmony, praise God even more. Praise God. So, let's continue. Again, he's going to address that here again in a few minutes. But in verse 11, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession 
in the presence of many witnesses, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep his commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Let's walk that backwards. First and foremost, this is the man who we're looking for his approval, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, not with eye service of men. We're not, we're not to be too concerned with our immediate employers, bosses, managers, people that have authority over us. The ultimate authority, we're to, ble- the, to bless the Lord himself. And in doing so, we will serve these other people in our lives like no one has ever seen, and it won't be for our own gain. We have been trained in our culture that if you give me a raise first, then I'll work harder. Pay me, and then I'll show you. The Bible is the opposite. I'm going to show you the love of Christ through my hands, and if you pay me, that's between you and God. God pays me. He takes care of me. He provides for everything that I have. And listen, brother and sister, if, if you work so hard at work and you're blessing and a, a competitor down the street offers you a better job and the Lord leads you and you go to your employer and say, hey, I got ble- I, I'm working as hard as I can here. I got offered another employment. I'm going to take it. And he matches your offer. Great. Bible says again in Proverbs that if you are a great workman, you'll stand before kings. If you're a skilled tradesman, you will stand before kings with your craft. Just serve as unto the Lord in everything that you do. But don't be out there for whatever they put in your hand. We should be out there for whatever the Lord puts on our heart. And it's because of this king of kings. Now let's go back and roll it back even more. In the beginning here of our section of verse 10, it says the love of Money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then it says there in verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things. Not all unity is good. There's a time to go away. There's a time to leave, to separate. And then he says we're to pursue faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And then this is the difficult part for me. I I have trouble putting them together, but they go together. Fight the good fight of faith. He says fight the good fight of faith, but pursue faith, love, and patience and gentleness. When I think of fighting, I don't think of gentleness. When I think of fighting, I don't think of love. But we are to fight for love and godliness and peace and patience. Guys, we definitely don't think this. We're thinking working out, sweat, fight, pain, anger, aggression when we think of fight. Not for the Lord. Not for the Lord. We're to have equal intensity but it's for these other attributes. We're to stand in the gap for these faith, love, patience, gentleness, godliness. And this fight, the good fight of faith, excuse me, and several other times in this section, Paul is using very tough language. It's military language. Now, we have been ruined by Hollywood. When we think of the military, we're thinking medals, heroes. 
we're thinking of, of just guts and glory. The real military, and there's a lot of people here that know it, is a lot of polishing boots, peeling potatoes, and digging trenches. No glory, and being told what to do at all times, whether it is the silliest order in the whole world or whether it's the most important thing in the chain of command, save your whole nation. You're just to obey and to do your job, whether it's pushing a broom on some radar dish in Alaska or whether it's storming the beaches of Normandy. You just do your job. And that's what he's equating it here to the church. A lot of times in Christian ministry, we're all worried about uh, how can I get the accolades? How can people see what I'm doing? How can I gain a reputation? How can I get medals and uniforms and march in parades? Really, the Lord's looking for a guy and a woman to peel potatoes and to dig trenches, to fight the good fight of faith with patience and love and godliness. Why? For who? Because Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why. And you're going to come face to face with the ultimate master, the ultimate holder of all life. And he is not a master as over slaves, but he came to set the captives free. How much more so should we serve him in our everyday life, in everything that we do? As unto the Lord. And then continuing in verses 17 to 19, he's going to talk to us again directly, almost through the scriptures, command, these are military commands, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now again, we've been we've been brainwashed a little bit here. We're thinking, man, if the one percenters, if they just listen to this, all oh, the world would be better. No, he's talking to you. Like we said, you are rich. Fingers pointing at me. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to turn on a television, and all the lights are going to go in my house, and I'm going to use running water, and I'm going to fix a snack, and it's going to be cool in my refrigerator, and I've got air conditioning and two cars in my driveway, and mail comes to my door. I have a man deliver it. Six days a week, he delivers it. We are so rich, and we're not to be haughty with our riches. Not to be haughty. No, he's not talking to the one percenters. He's talking to us. And God has given us richly all things to enjoy. But the enemy has just taken that enjoyment away from you at one point or another, and I'm just as guilty. Oh, if I only had blank. My house was bigger. My car was better. My bank account. And you, the, Lord, the enemy has robbed you of just the contentment and the enjoyment of the blessings of what you have. The blessings of what you have. I was reminiscing uh, just before service. I don't know why I'm into refer- uh, reminiscing so much. It's I think it's because I'm getting to the ripe old age of 30 here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> that was a poke in the eye. To some, I'm sorry. God forgive me. <laughs> but when we first started the fellowship, there was just five people in, a, in, a, in a, a room. All we could think about is, man, we need to get our own place. 
we need to get out. And then we got, we, then we started meeting in an office and that was cool. We weren't a home, we weren't a home fellowship anymore. And we were meeting in the office. All we could think about was, man, we need a kid's class. Man, we need to get out of this lobby. Man, we need a pulpit. Man, we need a dove. And, and the Lord just started providing all these things and we had it. And it's like, oh, we need to get a building. And then we got a building. Oh my gosh, what were we praying for? That was so much work. Praise God for it. We had such a great time uh, just working so hard together. And then it, it's just it's never-ending. It's just like, okay, well, we could use more classrooms. Oh, man, now these people are showing up. We need a bigger sanctuary. Maybe we need to do this, or maybe we need to do that. And then it's just being robbed of the contentment of just, man, we are reading the Bible together in peace and the air conditioning's working. That doesn't always happen. A couple of times the air conditioning went out in the summer last year. And we have seats now. And we have sound equipment. And just getting robbed. But man, I remember my old church and all this stuff. We have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. What? what? Boy, are we just sucking on the thumb sometimes. Don't be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches. Who are we to trust in then? In verse 17, but in the living God. In the living God. Trust Him. In your family, in your home, in your homework, kids. In obeying your teacher at school, in milking goats, in selling businesses, in playing music, in having family. Trust in the Lord in all things as unto the Lord. It's for Him and by Him. Be ready to, to share and to give. Why? Because in verse 19, we want to store up for the, themselves or ourselves, because we're applying it to ourselves, a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on to eternal life. We're living not for this world, but for the next world. The time to come, storing up for themselves. I love talking to uh, younger kids, younger, uh, you know, younger kids, and I love telling them what everyone told me to, and, that's, and I never listened. I tell them, save your money. Don't go out and buy everything right away. Get a good job, work really hard, go to school, apply yourself, have a plan. Need a, if you just do those things at your age, when you get to my age, things will be easier. And you know, people are telling me the same thing now. But listen, brothers and sisters, the same thing goes true for the kingdom to come. Save up now. Put away for the time to come. Work real hard because when we get there, that's it. You can't earn anymore. It's done. That's it. You will never be able to save another soul when the Lord returns. This is it. This is the only time. You'll never be able to witness to a non-believer ever again. This is the time. Do it, do it now. And that's what he says. Store for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold to eternal life. In the last two verses, 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. You know, um, I've read some Christian leadership books. I've read books on church planning. I've read books on being a pastor. And sometimes, not always, sometimes I leave that book and I say, 
Man, profane and idle babblings and contradictions of men, what is falsely called knowledge, and I chuck it in the trash. Why? Why would I do that? Because it strays away from the faith. You just told us here to trust in God. We don't trust in men. We trust in God for everything. He is who we're building this relationship for. It's him who we are serving. And in the application here in this first century is the Gnostics have come through and started to preach heresy here in the late first century. The Gnostics was a mixture of uh, Judaism and Greek, excuse me, Greco-Roman philosophy and Eastern mysticism all combined and they thought it was super knowledge and you could be really smart if you were them. And Paul just sums it all up in one heart-chopping criticism. This is just idle babblings. This is just baby talk. This is a waste of time. All their so-called super mature, super smart talk. He says, Timothy... Guard. There's nothing more boring in all of the ministry, in military or ministry, than guarding. Guarding. When I worked for the Air Force, I was just contractor. I wasn't a ser- a serving in uniform. But we would always feel bad for the security forces. They'd be so bored. They'd be. Bu- they would always be tying their boots fancy because it was um, against orders. They can't read. They can't play on their phone. They can just listen to the radio. They can just stand on guard. That's all they can do. We felt so sorry for them, but how essential it was just to wait and be prepared for the enemy to come. We need to do the same. We need to be on guard, waiting on the Lord, because the Lord, it's either the Lord or the enemy. They're coming. Either the enemy in the micro or the Lord in the glorious macro is coming to completely transform our planet. Let's, that, let's close in prayer and let's go to war spiritually, seeking God, praying for our country, interceding for the people of this country and, and everything that's going on. I know there's a lot on our hearts. We're just going to go before the Lord and pray together. Father God, thank you so much for speaking to us once again through the Scripture, Lord reaching through your word and just speaking to us right now and applying it to hearts. We pray that we will be growing in grace and knowledge. And we come before you now. Pray that you would be honored through these prayers in Jesus' name.